This week on WealthTrack, Global Shocks author Nick Sargent assesses COVID-19's investment and economic risks. My main advice to investors is keep an open mind. You may think you understand it, but as new information comes in, absorb that information and it's okay to change your mind. Nick Sargent on Market Repercussions joins us next on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. Welcome to our WealthTrack podcast. I'm Consuelo Mack. I hope you are safe and healthy. We are in the midst of a global pandemic. Economies are shuttered all over the world and financial markets are volatile, damaged and vacillating between optimism and pessimism. Our task today is assessing the economic damage in the US, the opportunities and risks in the markets and what we should be doing or not doing as investors. My guest has 50 years of experience as an international economist, global money manager, and student of economic history. I sought him out for his experience, perspective, and steady hand during numerous crises. He is Nick Sargent, now Senior Economic Advisor at Port Washington Investment Advisors, where he formerly served as Chief Economist and Chief Investment Officer. Before that, he had top investment jobs at major investment firms, and served at the US Treasury and San Francisco Fed. He is also the author of two recent books, both extremely timely, Global Shocks, an Investment Guide for Turbulent Markets and Investing in the Trump Era, How Economic Policies Impact Financial Markets. Nick, welcome to WealthTrack. Thank you, Consuela, pleasure to be with you. So Nick, 50 years as an international economist and global money manager, student of economic history, has there been anything comparable to the global impact that we're seeing from the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, Consuela, what I would say now is at first blush, no. I've never seen a shock with this speed and how far reaching it is. Plus it's a pandemic. So, so many new uncertainties. That said, people are asking the question of how will it compare, say, to the 2008-09 global financial crisis, which had been the worst shock in post-war history. And your response to that is? My response is um, that it has the potential to inflict more damage on the global economy than the 2008-09 crisis. And I'm basing this, uh, Consuela, um, not just on my own views, but um, recently the International Monetary Fund uh, came out with its updated assessment of the global economy. And in a nutshell, uh, what it says is it has the potential to be the most uh, devastating going back to the, I mean, the 30s are in a category by itself, but that it could be more severe than the 2008-09 crisis. So let me ask you about that because people are talking about the depression and one of your great uh, values uh, over your career has been you keep your head during these crises. <laughs> and you told me offline that you did not think that we were facing another great depression. Why do you say that? Um, I think that the great depression um, was a situation where 
number one, the banking system essentially collapsed in the US and around the world. And policy makers just had no prior experience. Um, so basically, you got a failed policy response to an unprecedented event. The, the biggest difference I see um, that gives me some hope is that first of all, this isn't a crisis about the financial system. And second, the policymakers have taken decisive action. Um, what the Federal Reserve is doing is they've pulled out all the stops and more to make sure we don't have a credit crunch. And then of course the federal government announced a 2.2 trillion program that is basically supposed to be a bridge to get us from where we were to, um, you know, to last for the duration of the pandemic, which they hope will be a few months. Let me ask you uh, about how you assess global shocks. As I mentioned in my introduction to you, you've written a book called Global Shocks, an investment guide for turbulent markets. And you have a four-step process when you are facing a crisis like we are, that you want to establish a framework uh, to help investors um, assess the damage and also on how to respond to it. So take us through the four-step process, Nick. And I know the, the first one is you want to define the problem. So just briefly define this problem, the nature of the shock that we are facing. What makes it unique is that um, all the prior shocks that I analyzed going back to the uh, 1970s, the breakdown of the fixed exchange rate system, none of them was a pandemic or a global pandemic. However, I think the second point I'd want to make is that some shocks I've analyzed and you say, okay, I can figure out what it is. Example, the first two oil shocks, that was pretty much the story. And then you had to assess the damage. But some shocks start off small and then they change over time. Uh, example, the 08 09 crisis began with a problem in a small segment of the housing market, subprime mortgages. But by the time the dust settled, um, you basically saw that the major financial institutions themselves were at risk, and we didn't know that. And so what I'm saying with the pandemic, and I think this is where you get the difference of optimists and pessimists. The optimists say, oh, it's like a natural disaster. Uh, it's gonna inflict damage. But guess what? It has a finite life. Um, the alternative view says it starts off that way, but then uh, the chain of events becomes more complicated. The best example was uh, when we discovered that all of a sudden we had an oil shock on top of the pandemic. Why? They're connected. Because oil prices plummeted because of the reduced demand for oil and the problems oil producers had in deciding who's going to cut back production. So it, it changed over time. And that's what I'm seeing. My main advice uh, to investors is keep an open mind. You may think you understand it, but as new information comes in, absorb that information. And it's okay to change your mind. The second step that you take, assess the adequacy of the policy response. And you mentioned the policy response being very aggressive uh, earlier, uh, both on a monetary and fiscal side. 
So how do you rate the response so far? You nailed it. Usually when crises come about often, it's because there were policy mistakes and then policymakers are slow to realize that. And that's how you get a crisis. A crisis in, in financial market terms is there's a loss of investor confidence. So what you're waiting to see is when policymakers realize the error of their ways and then um, you know, adapt. And we saw that in 08, 09, again, the Fed was slow to realize the seriousness of the problem, but when Lehman Brothers hit, uh, they knew what to do, they pulled out the stops. So this time, I will say, whether on the Federal Reserve side or on the US Treasury side, I would say they were very quick and decisive to act. And that's one of the reasons that um, I haven't gone completely bearish. But here's again where we come to, but what was the nature of the problem? And the nature of the problem was it was a pandemic. And so what would make me feel better is if I said, okay, we were slow to realize how much damage it would inflict, but now we certainly realize and we're up to speed. Uh, we want to get the economy going, but to do so, we have to have widespread testing to see who's at risk, who's not at risk, and then we have to monitor that. My concern is that we're behind the curve there, and that's one of the reasons um, you're not going to hear me declare the worst is over because we have to get ahead of the curve on the pandemic. Interesting that you said uh, that your assessment is the worst is not over because your third step is assessing the market response and what is being priced in. And as you know, there are some very prominent strategists on Wall Street that are saying, in fact, we've probably seen the lows and uh, that this is a great opportunity to invest. And where do you come out yeah. on that? Um, where I come out is, I hope they're right, but I'm fearful they're not. And so let me at least try to explain um, the logic of what they're saying. I think what they're saying is, first of all, yes, this was a devastating um, epidemic, but again, they look at the favorable policy response and say they, that, that, that's going to be the bridge uh, until you can restore economic activity. The uh, recent optimism in the market where it's retraced half of the sell-off that we had seen previously is um, have, haven't we seen that uh, the, uh, the curve on coronavirus incident seems to have come down in parts of Asia, certainly China, other countries, and even in parts of Europe that were most affected, and even in New York City. So the optimists are saying um, there's light at the end of the tunnel. My response is, hang on. It is a necessary condition to get a bottom that we bend the coronavirus curve, but it is not sufficient. The assumption that they're making is that um, we can quickly turn the switch back on to resume economic activity. And that they're in the V camp. The further you go down, the quicker you bounce back. I am concerned that their lags in getting back to normal economic activity are just much more complex. So it's going to be more gradual um, rather than you know, turning on the switch.
recently, even business leaders talking to President Trump, of course, they want to get back to business. But they told the president uniformly, um, we must have more adequate testing and monitoring or else people aren't going to want to go back to work. Portfolio positioning while controlling risks. The, the important connection between how you position your portfolio while controlling risks. And of course, going into this pandemic, when it you know dawned on the markets, because the markets for quite a while, even with the news coming out of China, uh, were relatively sanguine, thinking that it wasn't going to hit us. And if it did, it was not going to be a major impact, which of course it's turned out to be. So the market response when it turned negative and re recognized how big this thing was, was sharp. <laughs> you know, we went into, I think, the fastest bear market in history. Unless you were in those non-correlated assets, like unless you had lots of cash and treasuries and gold, your portfolio suffered a lot of damage. Was there any way in the normal course of events when you're talking about being a portfolio manager that you could have really protected yourself from an, a crisis like this in retrospect? I would say that it would be very difficult and for um, you know, two reasons. One is very common to all the shocks I looked at that you know, what are we all taught as portfolio managers is that the best thing you can do is to have a well-diversified portfolio, whether the number of stocks in the portfolio or whether it's a balanced portfolio, um, stocks, bonds, cash. So the problem it's, that's generic to many of the shocks is uh, diversification benefits are the least when you need them the most, because as you alluded, most asset classes move together and uh, maybe cash and treasuries and gold are different. Um, so that's point one. But point two is let's compare again uh, this shock with 0809. The issue in the case of 0809, and I managed money at the time, was I thought that there was bubble in housing, but I didn't think that it was, I didn't see the financial crisis. And we were trying to be defensive uh, by paring back exposures in the areas that most at risk, housing, um, et cetera. And uh, by the time the dust settled, I, I was mad at myself. I didn't think I did as good a job as I should have. Okay, this one, the speed, because uh, well, as you say, in three or four weeks, you go down 35% in the stock market, the bonds, investment grade corporate bond yields spike. And then of course, high yield bonds or lower quality bonds just um, soared in yield. So- right, Which means that the prices of the bonds went down. went down. That's right. So honestly, at the time I said to myself, oh my gosh, I missed it. And we're already down so much. Um, so my inclination was, right out the storm. So that's what, uh, what made it different. Here's the point though of where I want to tell uh, investors to think about. Usually the down leg of a crisis is the hardest. What you want to do is um, stay alive. You want to try to have as much dry powder as possible because 
you want to be in position that markets usually overshoot to the downside. At some point, you want to redeploy assets back into the market. You don't want to put your head in the sand. And we actually, in the 08 crisis, did a very good job. We did it in a staged way. And that's what I'm thinking about for the current circumstances as well. So my bottom line is really what I've done is as the market has partially recovered under this optimism, I said, oh, thank you, market. You've given me a chance to, to build more of a, a cash or a liquid position. Um, so I've actually, that's how I've been responding to the recent rally rather than rush out and uh, jump into the rally. So interesting, Nick, which is the exact opposite of what, of course, the bulls are saying, which is they're saying, you know, increase your exposure to risk assets. And you're actually saying, take advantage of the rallies uh, and, and raise some liquidity. I mean, raise some cash um, because yeah. your assumption is that we're going to be testing the lows again, that this is potentially a long drawn out process and there will be other opportunities. So when specifically does one get back in? I mean, when do you take that liquidity and start to redeploy it? What are the signals that you're looking for? What I was suggesting is that uh, to give the bulls their due, one of my signals was I had to be convinced that um, I was on the backside of the coronavirus curve, meaning that the worst in the way of incidents, the worst in the way of deaths uh, were behind me. So, uh, so we agree on that. The difference is they're saying that's all they need. My argument again is it starts as a pandemic, but it, it morphed over time. And uh, what I've always found with crises is they have a way of uncovering issues that you didn't even know were problems. So as I say in 0809, I honestly never thought I'd see the day of the major financial institutions where I'd say, can they, can they all go under? And yet we face that risk. Today, if you said to me, what was the new discovery? Remember, everybody was telling us the US economy prior to the crisis is in good shape. There's no major imbalances. I would have said the same thing. The difference is that this shock took out major components of small businesses and the service sector. Usually we think of manufacturing and other areas as the cyclical part and the service sector as the stable part. And so what this crisis did was to undercut that argument. The second thing is that the reason the unemployment rate um, is skyrocketing is that as these businesses got shuttered, workers just got let go um, and they took advantage of increased unemployment uh, claims. But we're already um, up you know, to uh, about 17 million increase in unemployment with more to come. So let's go back one other point. In the global financial shock, basically at the end of the day, nobody liked it, but the federal government could cut checks to the 20 largest financial institutions, which were called bailouts. Nobody liked it, but you had to do it. This time, how many checks have to be written 
to protect small business owners and to protect uh, their employees. It's just um, much, much tougher grind. So your advice to investors, aside from build up liquidity, are there areas that are particularly vulnerable? I know that you and I had talked about a big surprise to many of us is uh, how strained municipal finances are. And so uni bonds, right. are uh, those at risk? Uh, I would say um, I am concerned. I have to believe that there are more, that there are potential shoes that will fall. And, you know, of course, the federal government knows it's got to do some backstops. It, it's an area of concern for me. Um, the other area of concern are emerging economies. And here, um, if, if we like 08, 09, the advanced economies took the hit and uh, along with China, the emerging economies didn't come out all that badly. Uh, part of the reason was they had less exposure to US financial institutions and all the derivatives, yada, yada. And then when China really pumped up its economy, they could piggyback off of the growth of China. This time, there's two concerns um, that one, just the sheer declines in global economic activity. We've seen plunges in commodity prices, not just oil. Uh, so that hurts emerging, many emerging economies. And um, the other, of course, is that if the coronavirus is to spread, some of these emerging economies, they just aren't prepared for it. So um, this is one of the concerns, I think, why the IMF and the World Bank are actually, in some respects, more fearful of this situation than they were, um, you know, in 08, 09, uh, is the risk to emerging economies. Nick, we ask each guest at the end of every Wealth Track episode if there's one investment that we should all own in a long-term diversified portfolio, what would it be? What would it be? Now, the asset class I think is worth taking a look at is investment grade, so high quality corporate bonds. The reasoning is the following. All of us you know, are so tired of interest rates. Tre look what the yields are on treasuries. Um, they're ridiculously low. And if you're in long dated treasuries, you're at risk if the situation ever normalizes because you know, what you would expect to see is that um, the bond prices might fall. You could even have a capital loss on a safe asset called treasuries. You don't have credit risk, but you have interest rate risk. I'm trying to f say maybe the market for once is giving me an opportunity to get paid reasonable yield for I'm talking investment quality bonds that I don't think are going to experience defaults. If you were to go to the high yield or junk market, that's where you would expect to see default risk show up. So, you know, I mentioned to you in 08, 09, um, we had a three-staged re-entry into the markets. And the first step was investment grade corporates. So maybe I'm just taking one out of our former playbook and saying, okay, let me start there now. If I get closer to thinking I've seen the world economy stabilizing or the U.S. economy stabilizing, then I'm prepared to go into other assets that are riskier that have sold off. 
Nick, investment grade starts at triple B credit rating. Is that where you'd start or are you talking about higher quality investment grade? Right now um, in the corporate world, there were a lot of, um, you know, triple A, double A, single A rated paper. Well, when corporations found that they, uh, they can boost their earnings by being a more highly levered, you know, you saw a great preponderance of corporations moving into the triple B space. So I would say I'd, I'd want something diversified, but certainly to get more yield, if you go into the triple Bs, you're going to get the, uh, the yield. The, the thing you would worry about, of course, is, is their potential downgrades, meaning and then they go below investment grade. And so one of the things actually that's interesting to me about the Federal Reserve's uh, proposals, the Federal Reserve for the first time has granted itself or gotten the authority to buy investment grade corporate bonds. And in the uh, more recent expansion of its authority, it even had the authority to go in and purchase so-called fallen angels. So these were companies that had been rated investment grade before the crisis hit, but then they get whacked by the crisis. Uh, the Fed has even allowed itself um, that it can consider purchasing um, you know, these so-called fallen angels. But in general, you know, you'd want a diversified portfolio of corporate bonds. Nick Sargent, thank you so much for joining us for this Wealth Track podcast. And thank you, Consuelo. It's been a pleasure. I've been speaking with Nick Sargent, author of Global Shocks, an investment guide for turbulent markets, and also investing in the Trump era. To hear more interviews with Nick and episodes of our Wealth Track podcast and our weekly public television programs, please go to wealthtrack.com. And please continue to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Thank you so much for joining us and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.